Thank you for joining us today. Many Christians today have accepted Bible teaching through the media to be as relevant as assembling together in the house of God. The Bible commands Christians to regularly assemble together because we, the people, are the church. The media serves a great purpose for those who are temporarily or permanently unable to assemble due to various life challenges. But there is no excuse for those of us who are able. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Listen in with Bible, pen and paper handy as Pastor Rander teaches us today. That's what's going on in the churches, a lack of knowledge. There are churches, they're just emotional, they're screaming, they are hollering, they're jumping. You know, it's their feel-good church, their ice cream church. They just want to come and feel good and tell you what you want to hear. But, but you know what? The gospel offends. You know, you bring your, you bring your, your brother, your sister here, if they're Mormon or if they're Jehovah Witness or, uh, they're Buddhists and they hear Jesus is the only way. That's, don't send me a letter talking about you offended my mama. I didn't offend your mama. The word of God offended your mama. That's a word of God problem. That's not my problem. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm just here to speak the truth under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Because only the truth going to set you free. I'm not scared of anybody. And I'm not apologizing for the truth. I'm not, I said again, I said everywhere. I'm going to look in the camera. I am not apologizing for the truth. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of God. I also will forget your children. You forgot me, I'm going to forget your children. This is God saying that. Don't tell me you don't understand the Bible. You understood that. (laughs) Beloved, it is a dangerous thing to neglect, ignore the word of God, suppress the word of God, and rebel against the word of God, which has devastating spiritual impact not only on you but on your children as well because the word of God says I also will forget your children oh I love them I'm love but if parents are living like the devil you on drugs you crazy in the head you hollering and screaming and being stupefied all over the house don't come to church don't bring your children into church you act more like a devil than you do a saint God says I'm gonna forget your children your children are going to suffer because of the sins of the parents. Listen, this is a big thought. Pull your seatbelt. Some children never get to Christ because of the sins of the parents. Oh, oh did you get that? Some children and grandchildren never get to Christ because of the sins of the parents. God expects more out of you parents. He wants proactive spiritual parents. You can't be gossipy and raise your children. You can't be in everybody's business and raise your children. God expects you to speak with wisdom, insight, discernment. He wants you living holy, separated as unto the Lord. 
and the blessings of you will fall on your children because you are blessed in God as you follow his precepts. C, many believers are not sensitive to sin because they do not put the word of God into practice. Many believers are not sensitive to sin because they do not put the word of God into practice. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You are self-deceived if you hear the word and do not live out the words you hear. Practice, implement. Some folk, they're just good hearers. They just come, and you're really not a good hearer because you're not doing what you hear. Beloved, do not expect to have joy if you fail to activate the word of God in your life. What you hear, now some of y'all take good notes, but you shut it up and you don't activate. How many of these principles are you determined to live out in your life? I love this passage in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 31a. Ooh, you need to write this down. Ezekiel 33, 31a, it says, so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. Is that you? You come to church on Sunday as people do, hear the word of God, as people do, but you do not obey the word of God. My friend, not being responsive and obedient to the word of God is the sin of omission. D, Christians become desensitized to sin because of not searching their own hearts. Christians become desensitized to sin because of not searching their own hearts and not asking the Lord to purge sin out of their lives. Job 13, 23 says, how, listen to this, how many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgressions and my sins. It didn't say everybody else's. You watch some of you stay in a mess? Because you so, you, you, everybody else's sin. You point out everybody else's fault. Listen, you got enough of your own stuff to be working on. You have enough issues in you. That that is in the Bible. If you're torn it out, how many are my iniquities and sin? Make, look, make me know my transgressions and my sin. Lord, fix it so I can't miss my own sins. Convict me. Now, I got a question for you. It is just, it searched my soul, and I shared it with the guys earlier this morning. And I'm going to share it with you so you can follow on the conviction. When was the last time you asked the Lord how many iniquities are in your heart? (laughs) Think about that. When is the last time? Lord, how many sins are in my heart? It's right there in the text. When is the last time you asked? I said, wow, what a question. I, I, don't, I can't re- remember asking myself that question. How many sins are in my heart? And you know what? If you ask the Lord, he'll start revealing them. I dare you that. You'll get better too. God will purge all that hellishness out of you. How many are my iniquities and sins? Psalms 139, 20, 23 through 24 also says, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
try me and know my anxieties and see if there are any wicked ways in me and lead me in the way in the way everlasting. Listen, continually searching our own hearts keep us humble and in right standing with God. Continually searching our own hearts keep us humble and in right standing with God. E, saints who are backslidden, who, who are in a backslidden condition, become dis- desensitized to sin. Saints who are in a backslidden condition become desensitized to sin. Hosea eleven seven says, my people are bent on backsliding from me. Backsliding. That's why so many saints are not sensitive to sins. They're, they have backslidden. They've backslided on God. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. Lamentation 340 also says, let us search out and examine our hearts and turn back to the Lord. In this pandemic, you ought to be turning back to God. If this pandemic won't make you turn back to God, tell me what will. All these folk died, over 500,000 folk have died in America. Folk been sick. You've seen all this stuff all over the world. And some of your hearts are just as hard by television, radio, and social media. Listen, if this pandemic won't get you back to God, I want you to tell me what will. How can you act the same old way in the midst of a pandemic? If this pandemic don't get you to God, I, you got to come up here. Wait, when church time, you tell me I'm away from God. This pandemic is not doing it. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to sit you down and counsel you for five hours. <laughs> a broken fellowship with God and not being sensitive to sin keeps believers in a backslidden condition. A broken fellowship with God and not being sensitive to sin keep believers in a backslidden condition. Now let's go to verses five through seven. Verses five through seven, the condition for fellowship. We're just going right down the passage. It's called expository preaching. First John 1, 5 says, and this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. My friend, the message that John and the other apostles preached came from God and not men. Only when you have the life of God living in your soul can you have true fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, who is light. John affirms that God is light, which means that God is absolutely perfect, holy, and true. When you say God is light, it means that God is absolutely what? Perfect, holy, and true. Just as darkness, which symbolizes falsehood and evil. Darkness symbolizes falsehood and evil. You already write these things all down, all in your Bible, all everywhere. Just as darkness symbolizes falsehood and evil, evil cannot exist in the presence of light. Sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. Therefore, as light God exposes and condemns sin, which means the only way to have fellowship with God is to repent and turn from our sins. I said last Sunday, 
Where is the word repentance in the church? The Greek word is metanoia. It is turning, a turning from your sins and selfishness and wickedness and turning to God, to God, a renouncing of your sins, asking God to pardon your sins, your wretchedness, your waywardness, and turning to Christ who alone is able to save and heal and revive. First John 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did you get that? Verse 6 is powerful. It said, that is in the Bible. If we say that we have fellowship with Christ and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Those who claim to be in Christ but live in darkness by their lifestyle uh, proves them to be liars because they do not practice the truth. Beloved, it is impossible to walk in light and darkness at the same time. It is impossible to walk in light and darkness at the same time. Look at verse 7. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sins. According to 1 John 1, 7, what validates that we are Christians? In that one little verse, and according to 1 John 1, 7, what validates that we are Christians? Let me tell you what validates that you are a Christian so you won't be in doubt or believe a lie. Number one, we have fellowship with Christ. That validates that you're a Christian. Number two, we continue to walk in the light of Christ. That validates that you're a Christian. Number three, we have fellowship with one another. You, you, you don't just want to stay away from the church and say, oh, I, I got this. No, no. God created a church and he created us to be dependent upon one another, interdependent on one another. We need one another. The gifts you have in you that I need, the gifts I have in me that you need. Uh, you, you, God has deposited within each of us gifts for the edifying and building up the body of Christ. And when you are not here, uh, we miss your gift serving us to the glory of God. We have fellowship with one another. And number four, we continually allow ourselves to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Again, I say it again because I know you are writing. According to 1 John 1, 7, what validates that we are Christians is number one, we have fellowship with Christ. Number two, we continue to walk in the light of Christ. Number three, we have fellowship with one another. And number four, we continually allow ourselves to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Uh, verses 8 through 10 the preservation of fellowship, the preservation of fellowship. Verses eight through 10, the preservation of fellowship. Look what it says. Verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not only did false teachers walk in darkness, but went so far as to deny the existence of sin, of the sin nature in their lives. If anyone denies being a sinner, he cannot be saved. He said, I'm not a sinner. Nothing wrong with me. Leave me alone. Well, you're not saved. He is self-deceived. 
and the truth is not in them. For only when we see ourselves as sinners will we see a need for a savior. Did you see that? Only when we see ourselves as sinners will we see a need for a savior. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, who is him, pronoun for God, a liar, and his word is not in us. A sign of genuine salvation is continual confession of sin. That's a sure sign you are saved when you habitually confess your sins. I'm not talking about once a week or every other month. I'm talking about daily. Uh, the term confess, you see the word confess? Look at the word confess. Confess means to say the same thing about sin as God does. Now that's key. You need to write every bit of that down. Confess means to agree with God about your sins. To say the same thing about your sins as God does. God continually cleanses those who are confessing their sins. Since God has said that all people are sinners to deny that God's look to deny what God said makes God a liar and his word is not in us. A genuinely saved person will never will never say that he or she has not sinned because they will make God a liar. Romans 3.23 counters that, for it says, for all, you see, for all, underline all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all, the preacher have sinned, the pastor have sinned, the deacon, the elder, the usher, whoever you are, the parents, we've all sinned. So with that question, with that fact, why does God require us to confess our sins? And we'll close with that. Why does God require us to confess our sins? I'm going to give you these reasons and we will be done. Why does he, re he require us to confess our sins? Number one, sin separates us from Christ. That's why he requires we confess our sins. It separates, sin separates us from Christ. When we are negligent, when it comes to confessing our sins, it will result in a life separated from Christ that brings about a loss of fellowship, a loss of power, and a loss of fruitfulness. It separates us from Christ. God requires us to confess our sins. Secondly, because confession of sin is mandatory because God is only glorified through a righteous life. God is only glorified through a holy life. You can't live one way in the midst of God's people in his sanctuary and then go home and look at pornography, uh, be a drunkard, scream at your wife, knock your children around, be hard to deal with and hard to love. God is only glorified through a righteous life. Thirdly, confessing our sins help us to keep short accounts with God. Confessing our sins help us to keep short accounts with God. We must keep ourselves holy and pure before God 
and not allow our unconfessed sins to accumulate. Listen, don't ever get on your knees or in a chair or on a bed or wherever you are and say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. No, that's not, that's not the right way to pray. Forgive me. You didn't commit all those sins at one time. Okay? So you name those sins when God, God will bring them to you one at a time and then you plead the blood of Jesus. Don't cluster them all together and say all. Oh, you didn't commit them all at one time. When he brings them to mind, and sometimes God will reach way back and remind you of something you did when you were a child that your mama did, don't know, that your daddy doesn't know, your grandmother didn't know, your auntie didn't know, and you know what you did. And God has brought it to mind so you can deal with it. So you can deal with it. Don't let your sins pile up. Number four, sin desensitizes us to the word and will of God. You can't know the will of God for your life if you're living habitually in sin. Sin blocks you from knowing the will of God. Number five, sin contaminates and entangles us and often carries a lifetime of consequences. There are unintended consequences to every decision you make. Sin contaminates and what? Entangles us and often carries a lifetime of consequences. You may choose the sin. However, you do not get to choose the consequences. You don't get to choose the time of divine chastening, nor the place or duration of divine chastening. Now, that is so big, I have to repeat that. Sin contaminates and, and entangles us and often carries a lifetime of consequences. You may choose the sin. Oh, yeah, you can choose. That's your choice. I picked this one. Oh, but you don't know what you're picking. You may choose the sin. However, you do not choose the consequences, the time of divine chastening, nor the place or duration of the divine chastening. Number six, we will not prosper with concealed sins. We will not prosper with concealed sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Stop hiding your sins, camouflaging your sins. Stop being a smooth sinner. <laughs> but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. God will bless a life that doesn't hide sin. Number seven, when believers fail to confess their sins, they have a greater tendency to grumble. Okay? That's a sign that you're not confessing your sins. I'll say it again. When believers fail to confess their sins, they have a greater tendency to what? To grumble. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Go Look how quiet it got then. God commands us not to grumble because when we do, we sin against God and we sin against other believers. Grumbling is deadly, destructive, and disastrous. It is deadly, destructive, and disastrous. There should not be any grumbling in the church. You read the book of Numbers. Just read, just read through on your quiet time 
And see how many times Israel grumbled and God wiped thousands out. And they come back a day or two later and grumble again and God wiped more of them out. Sent six snakes on them and everything else. God got tired of those folk grumbling. Grumbling. And some of you are professional grumblers. You, 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 you'll grumble before you say thank you, Jesus. You know why, what makes grumbling so bad? Grumbling destroys family relationships. You grumble about your, your son. You grumble about your husband. It may be true. It may really may be about your, about your wife. It may, you, God never, there's not a command in the scripture that says grumble against your spouse. Now, some of y'all think, y'all, some of y'all believe you got, you think you got the gift of grumbling. That's not a gift. Uh, grumbling always destroys motivation. Grumbling tears down and does not courage or build up others. Listen to this. Like COVID-19, grumbling is so contagious that it can run through any church like wildfire and wipe it out. W- wipe, wipe the church out. Wipe, wipe out the choir. Look around, the ensemble is not there. The media is not there. Nobody attend the needs of the children. The spirit of growth. Oh, how I don't commit adultery. How could that man leave his wife uh, uh, for another woman? And, and you know, you just go on. Oh, how could that one do that? You point out all these heavyweights and I'm, I'm not doing this and I'm not a drunkard and I'm not. Hey, but you're grumbling. You're grumbling, you're grumbling, you're grumbling, you're grumbling and God's going to get you. Listen closely as Pastor Rander concludes this message by helping us to understand why many believers do not assemble in the house of God. Satan attacks us when we're most vulnerable, and he changes his strategy as our vulnerabilities change. In Jesus' name, we must be unyielding in exercising our God-given authority to rebuke every attack Satan instantly mounts against us. And Satan will flee because he and our God cannot occupy the same space. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas.